So let me just read to you 2 Samuel 12. It's on the, it's on the screen. David, of course, this is talking about King David, the second king of Israel, um, writer of many of the Psalms. 2 Samuel 12, 5 through 7. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Scripture. Lord, I pray in these next few moments as we look into it, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would, um, God, that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open to hear and to receive what you have for us today. God, use the foolishness of preaching to get across your word. God, I pray that we would be transformed today by the power of the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I think many of us or most of us are familiar with this story or what led to this conversation between Nathan the prophet and King David. But if, if not, I'll give you some background. And I, I'm not going to take the time to read all of 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 to you uh, this morning, but take some time this week or this afternoon, go back, read the whole story for yourself, um, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're told that King David had gotten up from his afternoon nap. I mean, what, what's it like to get an afternoon nap? <laughs> he got up from his afternoon nap and went for a stroll on top of his palace. So not only does he get an afternoon nap, he's got a palace to take a stroll on top of. But then when he's taking his stroll after his afternoon nap... On the top of his palace, he sees Bathsheba, and she was bathing on top of her house. This might get PG-13 this morning. I'm sorry. I'm just looking around. Here's your warning. <laughs> it's actually not going to get much, much worse than that. So, Well, maybe. <laughs> my notes aren't much worse than that. Who knows what will come out of my mouth? King David sends, first he inquires about Bathsheba. Hey, who is this? They say, oh, that's the son of, or I'm sorry, the daughter of Ephraim, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, David would know who Uriah is because we, we are told later in Scripture that of all of the thousands of warriors that King David had, there were 37 who were special. And one of those 37 is Uriah, the Hittite. We know that uh, just from uh, th that the human brain, that, that, that the human could have 150 close associations, but not a whole lot more than that. I mean, real close associations. And uh, so it's reasonable to believe that David knew who this was, that David had heard of Uriah the Hittite, that he knew who this was, and that this was, in fact, Uriah's wife. So, so David inquires about her, finds out who she is, then he sends for her, and then he sins against her and against Uriah. 
and against God. And I have heard people say, well, Bathsheba knew what she was doing, taking a bath on the roof. I'm not going to say that this morning. I've heard people say that. Just like you'll hear people say, and, and, and let me preface it with this. I believe in modesty. I believe in modest apparel. I believe in, in ladies and men dressing modestly. But I have heard people say things like, and not in this church, thankfully, but from pulpits, say things like, well, she got what she deserved because of how she was dressed. And let me just, before we get into the message, before we get much further, let me say that that is hogwash. Because you know who is responsible for King David's actions? King David. You know who's responsible for Bradley Spiegel's actions? Bradley Spiegel. And we put shame on women who have been abused and who have been uh, sinned against and we heap shame upon them. And it's wrong and it's ungodly. And I'm going to put my stake in the ground and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lie here at this church. This was not Bathsheba's fault. And she was not asking for this. And she had no choice in the matter. Who had the power in this situation? King David. All right. I just wanted to get that, get that out of there. Yes, I believe in modesty, but... But men alone are responsible for their own actions. And to act like we're uh, cavemen who can only respond to desire, that's hogwash and nonsense. But there has been, like I said, some perverted teachings that have come out of pulpits that men aren't responsible for their actions sometimes because... Anyway, I just want to say that's baloney. <coughs> So, David sends Bathsheba home. Bathsheba sends a messenger to David and says, I'm with child. I'm pregnant. And there is no doubt in my mind how King David would have handled this situation if this were 2020. He would have covered it up, hidden it, sent her to St. Louis County or wherever. And you could say, oh, that's not true, King David. It was a man after God's own heart. King David would never murder an innocent baby. He murders an innocent man pretty soon. And his sin results in the death of this baby eventually. So, there's no doubt in my mind that King David would have done anything to cover up his sin because of his actions that are about to happen. King David finds out Bathsheba's pregnant. Oh, no. I know, I'll send to the war and I'll send a letter and say, send Uriah home and I'll reward him with a, a night at home and um, he'll go home and PG-13 and then this won't be on me. But that doesn't happen because King David underestimates the nobility of Uriah the Hittite. Because Uriah the Hittite comes home and he says, the ark of God is in a tent, so I'm not going to sleep under a roof. Uriah the Hittite was honorable. Uriah the Hittite was noble. He said, the ark of God is in a tent and my men are sleeping outside in a field? And you think I'm going to go home? 
and sleep under roof. I'm not like you, King David. I'm not taking afternoon naps and walking around on the roof of my palace. I, 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 I got to be honest with you. The Lord is ha- having to deal with me of, with my contempt towards King David this week. And I'm working on loving him. Uriah the Hittite comes home and he says, I won't go home, sir. I'm going to sleep outside your palace. And then King David's like, oh, man, I know I'll get him drunk. So he invites him back the next night. Says, hey, belly on up here. Have another. Let's do shots. I don't know what they did. Oh, come on, quit acting like I'm so horrible. It says he got him drunk. He made him drink a lot, thinking, well, surely now he'll go home because I know I can't control my... This must be what King David's thinking because he couldn't control himself. Probably Uriah won't be able to control himself. He underestimated the honor, uh, the nobility of, of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite wasn't one of those people that blames the alcohol for his actions. Uriah the Hittite wasn't looking for excuses. He could still be honorable. <clears throat> and I've heard people say, well, I'm a, about other people. Oh, he's a good guy. Just don't get him, you know, sauced. No, that's just his, his, your true self, is what I've been told, comes out. All right. I, didn't, I really did not mean to talk about getting drunk this morning. <laughs> what kind of a message is this? <laughs> I believe the abstinence is the best policy, just FYI, just so you know. Uh, what was I talking about? Where was I? Oh, let me, get, let me find my place in my notes and then we can move along. So David, so Uriah says, no, I'm not going home. It's not going to happen. I'm too committed. So David sends him back to war with a note. And in the note, he's basically carrying his death sentence. In the note, it says, hey, put Uriah on the front lines, and when the battle gets fierce, withdraw. And leave him alone and let him die. And this is what happens. So Uriah goes back to fight, and they're marching on the city. And Joab, the commander, it doesn't say that Joab commanded the troops to to withdraw because several of them died, but he put Uriah in the worst position. And Uriah the Hittite dies. I know it's a bad, bad story, sad story. Uriah dies. Bathsheba, it says, mourns her husband. Bathsheba was not in on this. She mourns her husband. David, being the kind gentleman that he is, lets her have her time of mourning and then brings her to the palace and makes her his, one of his wives. <laughs> Man, it's getting bad. Now you know why this story was troubling me so much this week. It's a troubling passage. It's troubling. 
We're told David is a man after God's own heart? He takes naps and walks around his palace looking for victims? I mean, I'm not reading into the text. That's what it says. She comes home. She has this, has, gives birth to a son. And David thinks he's gotten away with it. But then Nathan the prophet shows up at the palace to see King David. And Nathan starts telling David this story, this parable about a rich man and a poor man. Jesus did that too, occasionally. He told a story about a rich man and a poor man. But Nathan tells King David this story about this very poor man who had one lamb. And he raised it from, from its youth, and he would let it eat out of his bowl and drink out of his cup. And this lamb was, was a family pet. This man and his kids loved this lamb. But then the, the rich man had thousands of sheep, thousands of cattle. But the rich man had a visitor come to his house and wanted a meal. And the rich man was like, I'm not going to use any of my uh, sheep or cows. I don't know what the guy liked you know, brisket or lamb chops. I'm going to go take this little lamb that this family loves. And it says the guy loved that lamb like a daughter. And this rich man went and took that lamb, killed it, and fed his visitor. And when King David heard this, he was furious. And he said, this man deserves to die. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the man who's done this. You're the bad guy in this story. And so Nathan tells him, you're the man, you're the bad guy. David, when confronted with his sin, repents of his sin. We do get Psalm 51 from from David's confession for his sin, and it is a beautiful psalm. It is a beautiful confession I, I quote it all the time when I pray. Create in me a clean heart. God, purge me with hyssop. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, do a work in me. Create in me a clean heart. David did recognize when confronted with his sin that he was wrong. But then Nathan the prophet says, okay, you're forgiven, but the consequences from the sin you have committed will follow you the rest of your life. And isn't that true that the wages of sin, Scripture says the wages of sin is death. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. And there are consequences that sin brings with it. And it brings, it brings death. Sin does. So the story is the child conceived by David and Bathsheba dies. David mourns. Bathsheba gives birth to another son. His name is Solomon. Many of you have probably heard of Solomon. He succeeds the throne of uh, King David. So I told you this story, this treacherous story. 
But I believe that there are some things that we can learn from this story. So I'm going to pick out a few things that we can learn from this story. And the first thing I want to pick out is from Nathan the prophet. Hold on, because I just thought I want something else, so I'm going to type a note to remind myself of that later. <laughs> See, how do you like that? Sermon on the fly. Oh, when did you finish your sermon uh, while I was preaching it? <laughs> yeah. I wanna, but we can learn some things from Nathan the prophet. So here's what I want to learn from Nathan the prophet. That a prophet cannot be so intoxicated and enamored with power that they refuse to call out sin and injustice. A prophet. Well, who's a prophet? I'm not a prophet. A prophet is a preacher. A prophet is a follower. Oh, so, oh, so a prophet's a preacher. Well, I'm not a preacher. Well, who's a preacher? A preacher is a follower of Jesus. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. He's, he, that's the command to all of us. We are all preachers. We are all prophets. We are all followers. A follower of Jesus, when they see injustice happening, they don't turn a blind eye. A follower of Jesus, when they see a wrong, even from a king, they call it out. There are lots of prophets today intoxicated with the promise of power, and so they speak pleasing words to powerful people. A prophet will put aside his personal feelings and speak for justice. When you see something, in this case, the prophet Nathan was instructed by God to speak on behalf, and this is where I'm going to lose some of you, on behalf of a foreigner, Uriah the Hittite. It doesn't say Uriah the Hebrew or Uriah the good Jewish boy. It doesn't. It says Uriah the Hittite. And God, God took his, God came to his defense. And a prophet or a preacher will do the same. A prophet or a preacher will do the same. Nathan would, would later tell David that he was not allowed to build God's house. Later, a prophet, the prophet Nathan would tell David, I'm sorry, you've shed too much blood. You cannot build my house. Nathan later would consult Solomon on how to build the house of God. So a prophet must put aside his personal feelings and speak for justice and call out injustices when he sees them. 
So as a, as a prophet, as a preacher, as a follower of Jesus, you must do the same. Let Nathan the prophet be something you take from this story. Let this story show you how a prophet or a preacher or a follower of Jesus responds to injustices. Is that they go to it, they see it, they don't ignore it, they call it out. And that's what Nathan the prophet did. Nathan the prophet, uh, the Talmud, the, the Jewish Talmud tells us that Nathan the prophet finished the book of 2 Samuel. Because, you know, Samuel dies at the end of 1 Samuel. So he probably didn't pen 2 Samuel unless when the witch of Endor <laughs> called him up. He's like, hold on, don't send me back. I got to go ahead and pen 2 Samuel. All you Bible nerds got it. Uh, <laughs> the rest of you, look it up. Witch of Endor, Samuel. Uh, but Nathan, we're told, was a student of, according to the Talmud, was a student of Samuel and finished writing. And uh, according to the Jewish Midrash, Nathan the prophet had a seat next to Solomon. In, uh, on, on, on one of Solomon's side was, uh, of his throne was Nathan the prophet. This is, again, not according to Scripture, but according to Jewish Midrash. And then there was another court prophet on the other side. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. Um, but Nathan the prophet was one of those. <clears throat> why, am I, why am I bothering telling you that? Because God will honor you if you call out injustices. If you're the type of preacher, the type of person, the type of follower that sees injustice and calls it out and tries to bring justice to situations, God honors that. Amen? Amen. Uh, so so that's what we can learn from Nathan the prophet. From King David, what can we learn from him? And like I've already mentioned, I, when I was reading this story again and, and understanding it, I, I'd read this story many times, but the older you get, the, the, more you, the more perspective you have, I think. And I just cannot imagine, you know, King David was younger than me probably when this happened. Maybe not. But I, I just can't imagine the thought process that would go into something like this. So I, I was having a lot of contempt for King David, but, uh, but what we can learn from him is that when confronted with his sin, he did repent. And it is hard for me to come away from, this, from reading this, this story and this account and thinking, Oh, he was still a pretty good guy. Things happen. Life happens. You commit adultery and murder. Life happens sometimes. It's hard to get to that spot. But the Lord's helping me. Because because King David was just a man. King David, the scripture tells us he was the best king ever. And if that's the best that we can do, is, is sec, uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, then we're in trouble. So last night, I was going to bed and I was thinking, man, I'm done talking about David as a good guy. I'm done thinking he was a hero. 
But this is what I learned. This is when I woke up this morning. I felt like the Lord showed me that no matter how bad we get, no matter how far we go, God will never give up on us. I went to bed and I was done with King David. And when I woke up this morning, God said, I'm not ever done with anybody. He said, I'm never done with anybody. Don't give up on anybody. Don't give up. As long as there is life, there's hope. As long as there's breath, there's hope. God will never give up on you. Maybe you look at King David and you say, well, that's not as bad as what I've done. There's good news for you then. Because other people might have gone to bed and said, I'm done with you. But God did. God didn't. God has never washed his hands of you and said, that is it, I'm done. So we can learn from King David that no matter what we do, God will still pursue us. And sometimes it'll get uncomfortable. And he might send preachers or prophets or followers of Christ to correct you or to speak to you. But he's never giving up on you. He pursued David. He's pursuing you. And it might take him a minute to get your attention, but he's going to get it. He won't give in. He won't relent. So we learn from King David that when we're confronted with our sin, we repent. When we're confronted with what we've done wrong. And and that's a big problem I see right now. A lot of people are saying, well, I've never done anything wrong. So I'm not apologizing for nothing. Just that disposition in itself, the the, the disposition of I've never done anything, so I'm not, that's a proud, that's a proud position to take. And if we believe the scripture and if we believe King Solomon's words, pride comes before what? Destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So just the disposition of, well, I've, I've got nothing to apologize for. You need to apologize for that attitude. The Lord's helping me get to those places. Okay, so we learn from King David to, to, to ask for forgiveness when we're confronted with our sin to repent. And repent is not just say, I'm sorry, and then do it again, right? Many of you have been in relationships like that. I'm sorry, and then the next minute the same thing happens. I'm sorry. No, you're not. When you repent, you turn and change. Repentance is not just sorry, it's change of direction. All right, so that's what we learned from King David. Also, read Psalms 51. Uh, It's a beautiful uh, repentance poem. Uh, Uriah the Hittite, what can we learn from him? His lesson's a little more painful, I'm afraid. What we learn from Uriah the Hittite is that sometimes even doing the right things and acting nobly will get you killed in an unjust world. Sometimes being good and being responsible and doing what you believe to be right, the right thing in this life uh, will get you ahead. It'll get you places, but sometimes it will get you nowhere. We have sold 
the idea that the American dream is available to everybody. But it's not available, number one, to people in third world countries and to places like that. And a lot of people have more obstacles than other people. Uriah had some obstacles to overcome. He had a king that wanted him dead. But he still did the right thing. And he's later honored in scripture as one of the most noble men in all of scripture. His name is mentioned as one of the 37 best in Israel. But sometimes the people who are the most positive in life, you'll notice, face the most trouble. Sometimes those who are the kindest have the cruelest of fates. Sometimes the most unselfish people are the targets of the most selfish. I mean, think about Uriah. He would not go sleep in a comfortable bed. He slept on a mat outside the king's palace. While the king took afternoon naps. I would love to take an afternoon nap every once in a while. That's why sometimes I know that like on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon, if I sit down on the couch or sit down in a chair, my family knows, don't let me do it. Because I'll be out. But Uriah was unselfish. But sometimes in this life, the, the unselfish people are targets of the most selfish. And this world is broken by sin. The world's broken by sin. And oftentimes, it's the innocent that suffer the most. And that does not seem fair. And it doesn't mean we should be okay with it, but, but it's just the reality of the fact. We live in a world where people cheat, lie, steal, and murder. And then try to get away with it try to blame others. We live in a sick world where kings and rulers plunder and murder and prophets stand by and give blessings. We live in a sick world where women are abused and exploited and treated as property. A sick world where babies aren't safe in wombs or at parks or riding their bikes. A sick world full of wars and unrest and fighting that never ceases. Wars where soldiers return and can't handle the atrocities of what they've seen so, so that the suicide rate is so high. We live in a sin-sick world where people hate other people because of the color of their skin or the country they were born in or the religion they practice. We live in a sin-sick world. And we need a doctor. We need a physician but not just any physician, but a great physician. One with a remedy, one with a cure. One that comes with healing in his wings. King David already said it was the greatest king who ever lived according to scripture. Now scripture doesn't account for the last 2000 years, but if you can find me a great king since then, or I challenge you to try to find a great king since then. And that's the best that we could do, was a lying, adulterating murderer. 
The, uh, the lectionary for the day, one of the scripture readings, is found in Zechariah. It's Zechariah 9, 9 through 12. Zechariah 9, 9 through 12 says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from the sea uh, will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood. I will free your prisoners from the death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Zechariah penned that scripture hundreds of years before Jesus would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. But Jesus did, and he is the king that will destroy all weapons of war. When Jesus comes and brings his peace, and guess what? He has come, and he has brought his peace. And if we will trust him, and if we will follow his ways, there will be no need for war. There will be no need for trouble. There will be no need for murdering and lies. He has come and he has shown us the way. We talk about it all the time. It's not just for the great by and by. It's not just for someday, somewhere. It's for right here and right now. Give us today what we need. We prayed it. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today the grace we need. Give us today the love we need. And if we would all buy into the kingdom of God that has already come, we would bring about the kingdom of God a little quicker on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not just someday in heaven. We all can't wait to get to the by and by with Jesus, and he can't wait for us to bring him to the here and now. We're just waiting, oh, Lord, come, take me out of here. And Jesus says, no, take me there. Take my way of living life. Take my way of doing things. Take my way of loving one another. Take it there. And that will bring healing to this sin-sick world. Yes, this world is sick. King David lived in a sin-sick world. He did some horrific things. So have we. (laughs) But Jesus came to bring forgiveness and redemption. And another thing we can take from the story is the life of Solomon. Again, Solomon was not perfect either. But he, was, he, he built God's house. And we say all the time, God will take, take our ashes and make something beautiful. And from the ashes of David's life did come Solomon, his son. And through Solomon came the temple of God that was later rebuilt. And then Jesus stood in it and read from Luke. So God will take, maybe you're saying, well, I'm like 
King Day. I'll ask the musicians if they'll come back. That way I'll quit soon. And maybe, maybe you're going to be like me and, then, and you're going to be like, why did you even bother telling us that story? Because now it's going to trouble my mind. But we look, when, when we get stories like this in the Old Testament, we look for the redeeming qualities. We look for redemption in them. We look to find places where Jesus is or where Jesus could come. And Jesus does bring redemption. He does bring healing. He will make beauty of our ashes. So we do need Jesus. We are a sick world. We do need him. And we're going to sing a, a song. Because I, I, I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sing, and it took me a minute to figure out what we were going to sing. Um, we're going to sing a song, and I want us to spend a few moments in prayer. And, you know, I don't know why the Lord troubled me with that scripture all week. Maybe there was something in there that, that spoke to you. Maybe, you. maybe you need to repent from your sin. Maybe you need to walk away and turn away from your sin. Maybe you need to call out the injustices that you see. Maybe you need to be more humble in your disposition. Maybe you need... Maybe you needed to hear that, yeah, sometimes even when you do the right things, it doesn't always go your way. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus came for you. Walker talked about it earlier. Jesus came and he brought us the victory. The victory over sin, the victory over death, the victory over the grave. We have victory through Jesus. And so just spend a few moments this morning praying and talking to him. After we sing, we're going to pass the, uh, we will pass to you some communion if you want to partake. As the ushers come by, just take it from them. If you don't want to, I totally get it and I totally understand. But just spend these next few moments reflecting upon not just David and, and that story, but reflecting upon Jesus and how that he is the true king. And that he has come and that he has brought peace and he has brought life and he has brought victory for your life and that he can change your life. How that he will forgive you of your sins and that if you turn your life over to him, no matter how ugly it's been, no matter how much wrong you have done, he can take your, the ashes that you have created and he will make beauty from them. So let's just spend a few moments this morning in prayer talking to him as we